Boy, uh, I don't know how many of you are able to watch that video rolling in before we go live, but uh, I, it, were, it really is worth your effort. Uh, when you look at some of the interviews we've done over People time, on the podcast can't yeah, see it. Yeah, I know. I understand. We but, should play it, yeah, Caleb. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it is a James O'Keefe moment that we were showing you that we did. Uh, James Fryman did his own James O'Keefe activism there by having a meeting with the FDA, which unbelievable things were revealed that in retrospect, worse i remember being astonished at the time and now i'm deeply concerned any event we have james o'keefe today uh he recently in disguise uh, was uh talking to a white house cyber official who said quote they can't say it publicly the white house wants to replace kamala harris uh and confirms that uh biden's got some issues and quote i'm just telling you what i've heard they're really concerned about it i think they need to get rid of him or her that is right out of the horse's mouth, and that's James O'Keefe. I think you all know him from Project Veritas. We will get to him after this. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin. Ridiculous. I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. Valentine's Day is around the corner, so it is time to look your absolute best. Our friends at GenuCell are celebrating Valentine's Day with a special gift just for you. From now until Valentine's Day, get a limited-time gift of beauty box free with your order at GenuCell.com Drew. Each beauty box has two of GenuCell's top sellers for you to give a try. It's absolutely free. And right now, save over 60% off all of our favorite GenuCell products with one of our customized skincare packages. I know I'm a snob about the products I use on my face. Everybody knows it. Every time I go to the dermatologist's office, they're just rows and rows of different creams. Retinols, vitamin C cream, under eye cream, night creams. Scrubs. And then when I get to the counter, they're overpriced. All kinds of products that you can all find at GenuCell.com. Plus, with its immediate effects, GenuCell promises results that will make you smile. It's guaranteed or 100% of your money back. To let yourself and a loved one with our limited edition bundles right now at GenuCell.com slash Drew. Use our special code Drew at checkout for extra savings off your order today. And remember, every order placed is automatically upgraded to free shipping. Don't wait. That is GenuCell.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash D-R-E-W. We are very privileged today to have James O'Keefe. He is uh, an in-person activist, so to speak. You know him, as I said, from uh, Project Veritas. You can follow him on X at James O'Keefe, K-E-E-F-E. -E -E. Also, O'KeefeMediaGroup.com is the website. Uh, and it's a real privilege to have him here. Welcome, James O'Keefe. Welcome, sir. Hello there. Great to be with you. Hey, good to be with you as well. And I, I think we briefly passed in the night at in South Dakota at the uh, Freedom Fest. Uh, Dave Smith kind of introduced us for a second, and then I think you were up on the stage. This was like, I think, two years ago. But uh, good to see you again, nonetheless. Great to see you again. So... Most recently, let, let me, if you don't mind, I'm sure you've asked, been asked these questions a million times, but it's just for the purposes of my audience. Uh, let, let's, 
let's just go through your evolution. How did this happen to you that you ended up in this kind of journalism and what motivated it? Well, um, that's a long story, but let me try to say it in a New York minute. Um, I was in college. This is, I'm 39. So when I was 19, I basically started a little Rutgers, uh, New Jersey, State University of New Jersey. I started a, a magazine called The Centurion. It was a weekly, excuse me, monthly investigative muckraking kind of organization. And, you know, most journalists, most people are commentators. They opine about the news of the day. And I decided to really dig into my campus issues. So I investigated how much my professors are making. I did a lot of like agitprop kind of gonzo journalism, like in the style of, uh, I guess you could say Borat meets uh, 60 Minutes. And um, and it, one thing led to another. I, I did more, I did Planned Parenthood things. I did this story on Acorn with a guy named Andrew Breitbart. That was in 2009. That led to the congressional defunding of Acorn when Barack Obama mm-hmm. was president. And then I started a nonprofit called Project Veritas, ran that for 14 years. We did some massive stories, stories on elections, stories on pharmaceutical companies, stories on media bias. was fired from... <laughs> From the company I founded a year ago, a week after I did a story on Pfizer, and now I'm I'm doing um, OMG, which is focused mostly on the border right now. But I'm I am noticing that um, society is changing in the last few months, and whistleblowers are coming out of the woodwork everywhere. What, what, any are you going after them? Is that what's happening? You're you're able to get to them. There was one story in particular that occurred two months ago with IBM. Uh, a guy came to me with an IBM high-level high level person and had a recording of the CEO of IBM, a man named Arvind Krishna. This is like December 10th or so. And um, usually when I people whistleblowers come to me or deep throat type sources, it's one or two people. But what I've been noticing with the Border Patrol and everywhere else is that when this IBM person came to me and I published the recording of the CEO, the recording showed the CEO of IBM saying that oh we we can't hire asian people you know we if we the, the more you fire white people the bigger your bonus is going to be these are some pretty shocking quotes and when i published that 150 people inside ibm contacted me i've never seen anything like that in fact what's remarkable is that and this was definitely as you call it an o'keefe moment we published the tape of the IBM CEO, and then the IBM CEO is emergency all-staff meeting with his 60,000 employees. And the thing that he says is, mm. don't talk about James O'Keefe. <laughs> and that, that meeting was sent to me by seven IBM employees. So what I'm starting to witness in, in, in what I do is that there's just been this explosion of people following their conscience and they have absolutely nowhere to go. They certainly can't go to the New York Times or CNN or I don't know, wherever people used to go. So they go to me. And, and so let's sort of standing back, you know, I, and I'm going to ask you to opine for a second, if you don't mind. I, and I know the muckraking is a little bit of a different posture, uh, which is what what is happening? <laughs> but, but, and this is a question that's a thought bubble over my head all the time. What is happening to us as Americans and what is happening to journalism and cable television, all these crazy, crazy distorted uh, outlets. That's a great, that's an existential question. I wrote a whole book trying to answer that question called American Muckrakers, the name of the book. It's a combination of things. I think certainly economics, you know, um, of media, 
why does it always the citizens? Why is it always the 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 independent people? I don't even have a lot of money. Why why isn't it the big behemoth corporations that do the work? Um, we did a story on Jeff Epstein and ABC News. Amy Robach, that's the the then anchor for Good Morning America, is on a hot mic on her lav mic during the commercial break, talking freely about how she couldn't report on Jeff Epstein because her the the, the leader of the of ABC News was close to the British royal family. So you have this sort of dynamic in mass media where uh, uh, the media ops operates in symbiosis. Oop, you there? There we are, sorry. That was your, it doesn't investigate your government. Yeah. You, you have this sort of symbiotic yeah. relationship. And, you, yeah. and, you have, and there's a great book about that called Manufacturing Consent by Noam Chomsky. There's a symbiotic relationship between when you should be investigating and being adversarial and being skeptical, you 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 have to kind of ally yourself with federal agencies and and then you got the pharmaceutical issue, you know, and and you know, brought to you by Pfizer and all this sort of thing, where they fund most of media. So you have to be in symbiosis with those these. Well, what Ryan really, if again, it's sort of just another way of describing exactly what you've described. You're talking about ossified elites. Elites, and what's kind of fascinating about this, our version of elite, these were the people, and, I, and I've sort of watched this coming on, I saw it in college campuses too, which is these elites were the muckrakers slash talking shit to authority they were they were the ones you know the good guys that were getting rid of the guys in the white white shirts and the skinny ties and they really are so stuck in the notion that all goodness is centered in them that they can't see where they have become where they've fallen short where they've become part of the problem and i noticed it in college campuses when I, I said this probably 10 years ago, and I think it was the evergreen thing that got me going with where Brett Weinstein and his wife were nearly killed, which was, oh, these administrators cannot speak like adults to young people because that's what they hated when they were in college. They hated, remember, I, you were too young for this, but it was question authority. Don't trust anybody over the age of 35. This was their their reason for living. And now they've become the authority, and they wouldn't dare tell a young person what to do or what to think. And they're behaving, the elites, the administrations, are behaving like children themselves. And so there's no adults in the room. And guess what happens when that, that goes on? Things go sideways. So that was my first sort of sense of it. It was going on on college campuses. And now it's gone further, right, where the, in, the, in, the, the ossification is as you're saying in the media elites with the government with the corporations and in a certain way a i want you to comment on what it, my, what i've laid out but is it not the case that it really what it starts to veer into is a fascism it's a kind of a fascistic thing which is government corporate unification that's it well it's it's literally that because the fbi raided my home and pointed guns at me and took my reporter notebooks which is a Rubicon that has been crossed as a journalist. Um, rarely does journalists get raided by the FBI. In fact, I'm not aware of a, of, a, of a case where a media organization was raided by the FBI where they were confiscating notebooks. And then they would say, well, James O'Keefe is not a journalist. Well, that's a very interesting question because if 
The news organizations aren't doing journal. Who is a journalist? So that's another story. But uh, my comment on what you said is that what I've found to be true of media organizations, they're, they're not willing to break news. Most mm -hmm. media organizations will opine or comment or react to news that someone else has broken. But the liability associated with sort of breaking new ground, especially television news, you know, they'll, they'll mm. cover everyone sort of, you, you have like 0.1% is actually showing new information. And then you have 99.9% .9 of media, you know, commenting on it. And I think that's because it's risky. Um, no one wants to break new ground. And what I do is we break new ground. We, we have people on tape reporting sensationally blockbuster things, people lying, cheating, stealing, scamming. And then people sue you for defamation. The government harasses you. It's expensive. Um, you know, I Mike Wallace back in the day and now dead, but 60 Minutes used to do this 45 years ago. Um, you had Chicago Sun-Times and, and they did all types of undercover things, not all of it video-based. And of course, Upton Sinclair 100 years ago in the jungle, you know, light undercover work, but wrote a novel. A lot of it was sensationalized and there, and it's frowned upon. And, um, and I think the biggest thing I've learned is, you know, the New York Times attacking me constantly. It's like, why are you attacking me? We should be on the same team, but they got those sources inside the department of justice. And it's almost like, um, the, the, you know, there's a manipulation that occurs between, between, I don't call them journalists, but the people, the New York times and the government, um, the government's kind of manipulating those journalists and force feeding them the information. They parrot it without skepticism and journalists are supposed to be skeptical. Well, it feels like the model has changed on two levels. One is the the business model has changed. You know, I had a show on HLN for years, and we didn't we couldn't put reporters out on the field. That was like laughable. We were doing a talk show essentially, a talk show about the news. Uh, that's what that's what cable TV has become. They've closed down all their. And it really started, frankly not just with the business model shrinking, but also with celebrity news. That was cheap. That was easy. They could close down all their bureaus and just report on Britney Spears. And, and, that was, and they'd get better ratings. And so off they went. Uh, you know, they, they are, and it's funny, I, I, um, and I'm not a journalist. I, I, I've said it over and over and over. I'm not a journalist. I was hosting a show. We talked about things. And I think most of cable news has become like that. It's funny, I saw, I bring this story up again, I'm just bringing it up for you really quickly. I saw a Soviet journalist in the 1970s. I'm just, this stayed with me to this day. I was watching like a 60, it was a news magazine like you're describing. And this sort of Mike Wallace guy was beating up this Soviet journalist. You know, how can you, how can you merely, um, you're under such influence from the government. You're just, you're just pirating what the government is saying. How can you, how can you call yourself a journalist? And the Soviet guy finally pushed back hard and said, hey, look, he goes, our models are different. Journalism in our country is a political instrument. In yours, it's a commercial instrument. But trust me, your distortions will be just as bad as ours. And hmm. here we are. Took about 50 years. But isn't that interesting? Yeah, I mean, it. it yeah, well, I, I have a lot to say about that. I mean, the First Amendment, um, it's all about informed consent. And the public has a right to know in the United States. So our, our, our axiom, you know, our value, our axiom, our principle is the public's right to know the information. Does the public have a right to know it? That's a very unique and novel and perhaps revolutionary idea. You're, actually, you're absolutely right. In the Soviet Union or Russia, it's more Potemkin village. The journalists are escorted through and, and shown a fake 
uh, thing that is in align in alliance with the state. But but um, I, I would say to you that it's um, it's gotten so bad. I'm not sure that the commercial imperative is compatible with the news. And I say that as someone who's probably more of a capitalist and uh, I suppose libertarian approach to mm-hmm. economics. But I, I think the laissez-faire dynamic with journalism, I don't think it works. I think you have to be extremely philanthropic as a newsman. If like I'm the chairman, I was the chairman of Project Veritas. Sometimes our legal bills were millions and millions of dollars a year. So I had to, you have to be a lost leader. You have to spend a tremendous amount of money, perhaps not profiting on most of your news. News is a very philanthropic endeavor. We can spend upwards of a million dollars to do one story. And there's no way you're going to recoup your costs on that. Um, so I don't think anyone has really figured out a business model for journalism that is not a 5-1-C-3 model. Right now at OMG, I have a combination of models. We do. We also have a 5-1-C-3 called Citizen Journalism Foundation. We have some sponsors. We have some, like Tucker's doing behind the paywall stuff. But I don't think anyone's figured that out. I mean, ABC News is a billion-dollar company, whatever it is, Disney, and they've completely axed their investigative journalism bureau. So this is a really fascinating conversation, and and uh, I write about it a lot in American Muckraker. You know, you you uh, are sort of making my point for me. There is not a business model for, for journalism, and so right. they're going the direction they go. Um, and, and I... Do we, Caleb? Do we have the video from the uh, White House staffer I referenced in the opening comments? Is that what I'm hearing? I'm not sure if I understand the text I'm getting from our producer. Oh, I don't know if Caleb can talk to me. Ka- oh, Susan, he, can, can. he can't talk to me. Okay. He can't talk because his roadcaster ca- crashed. Okay. So, do we have that video? I, I don't know. Okay. I, ask, I, he, I can look, maybe he can text me. Well, you, but, let's after the break. But you, you will ask. <laughs> I have I have some other questions for for James in the meantime before we get yeah to and that. also we don't we're not on spaces so I saw that just don't worry about that yeah I saw that right, uh, little, we're having a little, little audio stuff here and there today Alabama James. Alabama roadcaster yeah but he the sound still works so so the, you're being told by the uh, shall we call it mainstream media legacy media what what what's our name what are we going to call the the New York Times at all you have a name for that. I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, some people call them corporate media, legacy media. Corporate Corporate media. I like like corporate media. So corporate media uh, calls you, says you're not a journalist. Is Tucker a journalist? Well, they also called him not a journalist. I I like the phrase not a journalist, not hyphen a hyphen journalist. Um, They said Tucker wasn't a journalist after his Vladimir Putin interview. Um, The the, the United States attorney's office in New York literally wrote a memo to the federal judge in my FBI case saying, and you can't make this up. This is what the uh, prosecutors actually said this. Your Honor, James mm-hmm. O'Keefe is not a journalist because he secretly records people. <laughs> well, right. there's a lot of journalists that have done that for the last 50 years. Some of the, but I think, I think that fell out of fashion, uh, I suppose, in the 90s with Diane Sawyer being sued for a food, lot, food line investigation. It was all about lawsuits and litigation. And a lot of this mm. was economics. I don't think it was politics. I really think it's just mm. journalists are lazy. And like you said, they sit in booths and talk. They get they, they take a black limousine to this office. They go up to the air-conditioned studio. They make a million dollars a year. And they don't really do a lot of field reporting. They don't really do a lot of original stuff. So 
I think it's more just the dynamics of power and money than anything else. Yeah, they're talk show hosts. That's really what they're doing. They're, they're hosting a talk show. And I, I don't have any problem with that, but let's be honest about what it is. It's you're, you're hosting a good morning show or you're hosting a talk show where you talk about the news. Fine, fine. And guess what? You should have an opinion if you're a host of a show or you should sort of I've had be the, able to sort of go ahead. The police have been called on me almost every single time. Every single time they call the police on me, and I and I and I and I say that for a reason, not because I'm doing anything illegal, but look at the difference between like what we're doing, where every single time I'm out and about, like I, with my microphone. So what do you have to say about this? You were caught on tape here by this guy, or there's a secret Ramada Inn filled with illegal immigrants, and some of them are lying about their sponsorships, and my illegal immigrant source has recorded this guy, and they call the sheriff's office on me. So you know you're doing something right when every single time now. How many times have these people in their in their talk shows and their broadcast booths had the police called on them? When's the last time they were raided by the FBI? And I hate to say that because I don't break the law, but there was a great journalist uh, called Gary Webb in the 90s. There's a movie made about him um, called To Kill a Messenger. You may have heard of it. And Gary Webb wrote a book. I believe that book was also called To Kill a Messenger. And he said, for a long time, I was winning Emmys and I was winning Pulitzer Prizes and I was, you know, speaking at journalism schools, and I felt so good about myself. And then I, and then I, and then I broke a story. He did this story about the CIA and drugs in Los Angeles, that that made me realize how sadly misplaced my bliss had been. The reason I had encountered all that smooth sailing for so many years is because I never broke a story important enough for them to try to censor. And this is mm -hmm. a guy who was being accoladed, and you know. And, and as the hardest part of my journey, I've been doing this for 20 years, 15 years in major ways. I've been lied about and defamed so many times. And for a large part of that decade of, of constant defamation, you begin to realize that human beings don't like to be hated. They don't like to be their Wikipedia right. page to be filled with filth. So that when you're, That's right. you're read about and you're just, you, you think I'm a monster. Nobody likes to live mm -hmm. that way. Um, no. And I think we've reached a, tipping point, or I suppose now in the year 24, where I think most people, most Americans are starting to read, read between the lines and they realize, well, maybe Wikipedia isn't so honest and maybe being praised by CNN isn't the most important virtue. I think we're, if we haven't gotten to that tipping point, we're, we're pretty much about to be. That's good to hear because, um, uh, it, it something has to break the elite stranglehold. It just seems to me. Um, so let me ask this: uh, let's let's adopt their notion as a as a fact or principle. Let's say you're not dash a dash journalist. Let's say you're not a journalist. Let's adopt that. What are you if you're not that? That's a. I, I always have a in my pocket a funny joke. I say. I'm a, I'm a, it's like Bruce Willis's quote from the, from the fifth element. I'm negative. I'm a meat popsicle. I'm a <laughs> captain kangaroo. It's nomenclature. I, I'm not a journalist. Yeah. I'm, you know, yeah. but they're obsessed with that, the identity politics of, and I think that there was a sponsorship on the congressional floor years ago where Chuck Schumer was trying to define a journalist. It was a very difficult thing to do because yeah. journalism is an activity. It's not yeah. merely an identity. You are, as Aristotle say, you are defined by what it is that you do. So yeah. 
Um, it's a very fascinating question. They try to create a shield law for journalists, but um, I think that, you know, when it came to the founders and pamphleteers and the kind of work that you're doing, it's important to understand that it's the, the activity, not the identity. And it's almost, no, I don't know if I'm going to say this, but I'll say it and you'll have, we'll chew on it a little bit. I got to take a break in a second, but it, it's almost the, the discourse it generates that's important, right? I mean, it's, 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 you talk about the pamphleteers during the uh, founding fathers era that that was about creating conversation and distributing information. And, and it came around again in the mid 19th century where, gosh, if you read the Lincoln Douglas debates from Douglas's journalist versus Lincoln journalist, you would read two entirely different debates entirely like like lincoln has has gone on the record he actually went and read he would read both versions and then collate it and put it all down the way he remembered it or where he'd written it out par partly and uh, presented that to the newspaper and said these are the debates and it, we we've forgotten that journalism <laughs> It's not a profession historically. I mean, it doesn't have professional. Does it have professional? It has licensing. It doesn't. I, sh, and I guess it begs the issue: Should it? I hope not, because that goes at speech. Then, what do you think? I mean, these are these are profound issues you bring up that are very difficult to reconcile. But I think the independence. I mean, you know, Elon Musk buying buying X, in my opinion, and echoing what Charlie Kirk said is probably one of the greatest developments in the West of Western civilization, because you have now a, a, what appears to be a very free platform. Our videos, that White House video you mentioned a minute ago, the one I got two weeks ago of the cybersecurity, that was filled 30 million times. 30 million people watched that. And those, those um, video journalism is extremely important. You know, uh, like the primetime live undercover stuff from 30 years ago, people need to see it makes all the difference when people can see something, you know, it's where versus a newspaper mm. article or a pamphleteer mm. or whatever they did before video. It changes the whole dynamic of, of how we perceive the world around us. When we can kind of see that white house official when he's talking, you, 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 hopefully your producer can pull it up in a moment, but he goes, mm. Oh, you know, I work in the white house and they were all, they all think Kamala Harris is horrible and she treats black staffers horribly. And she's a bad leader. And I say, well, can't you say that publicly? Oh, no, 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 no. We can't say that publicly. Oh, no, because she's a black woman. And, but what's remarkable is that as long as there's a gap between how these Washington, D.C. people talk like amongst each other in bars and the official Potemkin propaganda that they feed to the New York Times, as long as it's not the same, there will always be ripe opportunity for people like me to expose them. And, and let's face it, there is an artifice that is pervasive throughout, I guess, that's just part of life. I mean, people are phony and, and there's phony baloney in media, there's phony baloney in business. There's, and, and you know, but when it comes to um, our, our elected officials, you know, people have a right to know. People thought, oh, James, you're unfair for secretly recording people. You're gonna ruin their lives. Well, in this country, in the United States, it's founded on the public's right to know. And journalism does hurt people. Some really good journalism sometimes hurts people, but the public's right to know trumps all that shit. The public's right to know the information is the most important thing. 
and not lying to the audience. That's why we go undercover. That's why we use pretense. That's why we're guerrilla, because we have to get the truth to the people. And if I just parrot what they tell me, hi, I'm a journalist. Tell me how honest you are. If I just mm. parrot that, then I'm lying to the audience. And that's what corporate media does. That's what legacy media does. That's what people who are brought to you by Pfizer, that's what they must do because they can't be skeptical of all of the organs of power. So you kind of have to be independent. You have to be without a safety net. You have to be um, a, a kind of tight band of brothers, which is what I've found. And I and take it from a man who's fired from the company he founded, my board fired me. And I had to start another mm -hmm. company. So it's very guerrilla you know, in, in how you do it. All right, we got a lot to talk about. I, you just you just prompted a ton of stuff in my head. So uh, we're going to take a little break. We are going to get that video so another 10 million people can see it. Um, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about the right to know versus ethical discomfort we might have with the right, you know, how the right to know gets uh, elucidated. Uh, I'll tell people what a Potemkin village is. If you don't know, it's been referenced a couple of times. And uh, you might want to check out Michael Malice's White Pill, which is all about Potemkin villages. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about your firing. So there's a lot to get into, James. I appreciate you being here. We'll take a quick break and be right back. Thank you. Are you one of the millions of American women and men dealing with premature hair thinning and hair loss? Or maybe you're scared about inheriting that thinning look because it runs in your family? Start 2024 with a real solution that delivers results without the harsh side effects or unwanted chemicals and no need for prescription. Provia uses a safe natural ingredient, Procapil, to effectively target the three main causes of premature hair thinning and hair loss. By supporting healthy scalp circulation, the delivery of nourishing nutrients, and healthy hair follicle anchoring to your scalp, Provia guarantees more hair on your head than in the shower or on your comb. Right now, new customers save over 50% plus free shipping. Every introductory package includes a full 60-day supply of Provia serum for daily use, plus the Provia Super Concentrate for faster, more noticeable results. Don't wait. Order now to save an extra 10% and get free shipping at ProviaHair.com forward slash Drew. That's P-R-O-V-I-A-H-A-I-R, ProviaHair.com slash D-R-E-W. As a physician, I am deeply concerned about efforts to erode the doctor-patient relationship. And as medical freedom continues to come under assault, I'm on a mission to empower you to be able to take care of yourselves and your family the way you want to. I urge you to get this medical emergency kit from The Wellness Company. It contains essential prescription medication you should really always have on hand. Here's Dr. Peter McCullough, Chief Scientific Officer. It's a very broad and diverse medical kit. can handle everything from a urinary tract infection, a fungal infection, a bronchitis. People can, you know, via telemedicine, uh, get their questions answered and get on the right track. But it's basically an at-home formula. Yep. For the first time, people, instead yep. of being... Uh, held captive by an urgent care or by a doctor's office or an ER, they can actually do this themselves at home. Save yourself the weight and the hassle and feel better faster. Go to drdrew.com slash TWC for 10% off. That is drdrew.com slash TWC for 10% off the medical emergency kit. We're back with James O'Keefe. It's at James O'Keefe, K-E-E-F-E. Uh-oh, is there something after that? And uh, also at, at O'Keefe Media. Uh, thank you, James, for being here again. As I said, a quick question for you technically. We we have the full 13-minute video of your uh, undercover 
conversation with the um, White House staffer. Is there a particular minute or so that's of relevance? Do you know, sort first, of the first two minutes, or maybe um, you know, we do a, with these videos. The, we usually try to uh, take the whole story and then compress it down into a two-minute version. So if we just play like the first ninety seconds, maybe. All right, let's do that. So you're you're pretty high up in the government. Yeah, I'm fairly high up. I'm good at keeping secrets, and so I manage two federal agencies, the State Department and USAID. So when you say it's like security, like you're protecting... The networks of the federal agencies that you give all your information to. The mission is to protect information. We we are like the president's voice when we go into meetings in terms of discussing and and promoting the president's priorities. Is he going to be the the nominee? Yes. And she will be the vice president nominee. Yeah, I don't... There was a debate about removing her from the ticket, but... Sadly, they didn't. She can't keep black staff. Huh? They quit on her in mass. But with him, I yeah, mean, I know. I know. He's got I know. dementia. Um, yeah, well, he's definitely slowing down. But they know that he has those issues. I think so. But they're not willing to say it. Shows it. And, they're not willing to say it publicly. And same thing but with Kamala Harris. She's not popular, but you can't remove the first black lady to be vice president from the goddamn presidential ticket. Like, I what see. kind of message are you going to send to, like, all the African-American voters? How would you spin that? People would be like, what the fuck? Like, like she's a woman and she's multiracial. I think I think that they're really concerned about this. But they won't say it. Well, I guess if they say it publicly, Correct. Biden can't is, publicly. is uh, no, no. they can't say it publicly. No, no, they've got to they got to they say the it privately? But they won't say it publicly. Correct. Biden can't is, say it is uh, no, no. they can't say it publicly. No, no, they've got to they got to they say the it privately? All right, let's kind of wrap. We, we get, we get the vibe. We get the. You're just telling me the truth. Does it make sense? No. Time to stop, Caleb. There we go. So we we get it. Um, and what I remember ha- that. What happened to this poor guy? Do you know? No, they, no. They the the system has become wise to me. Usually, they fired them, but even if they do fire them, they probably do it so quietly because it would trigger an Associated Press bulletin if they fire this guy. This guy's not a low level guy. He's Cybersecurity went to Harvard, um, you know, overseas USAID and the State Department. And I want to make one comment about what you just saw. That statement we can't say it publicly. Like that, you have someone who works for the state, who's on the inside. He's there in the executive office, the the White Eisenhower Building. They don't talk like that when they go on the media, do they? No, no. They don't talk that no. normally, that 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 conversational, the cadence, the honesty. You might be thinking, oh, I'm getting him drunk. No, I think he drank like maybe half a glass of wine. It wasn't that. It was that it's just there's just so much fakeness in our politics. And imagine how more educated people would be if they saw those types of conversations done at scale. So let's let's again ad- adopt your point of view. Um, is he wrong? No, no, he's honest. He's right. I don't, he's right. He's, he's honest, right. You can't say I mean, stuff like that. Yeah. So, so he couldn't. The reality in, in is, substance. what are you saying? And, and but behind that, people get into a very, and I don't, I don't think that's the purpose of this conversation. But people get into a very deeper waters with it's justified because we're righting wrongs. We're you know bringing things into the present. The and that's just the way. It, it's just how we do it. 
which would they get upset at the methods by which it was obtained or do you mean something different no no that's a i want to get that too no they would say of course we can't talk about it it's 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 uh, it's not savory but we have to protect her and that point of view to make sure that people like her are given the appropriate support and jobs and move forward that they feel well, justified think, in that i think that him, it, the, the the money shot of all the things in that video, and usually this is typically the money shot, it's when the subject says, um, we can't say it publicly. The Pfizer guy a year ago said the same thing. He said, promise me you won't tell anybody anything when I'm about to tell you. Whenever the, whenever they say that, that's when we 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 fix our camera. Would you, would you just say that right into the button, sir? That's when we get really, our ears get finely tuned to what's about to be said. It's the deception. It's the law of non-contradiction. The person can't say X and then say opposite of X. You can't say, you cannot say as a public official who works in the White House, it's the, perhaps the greatest issue in the history of the United States, this, 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 this election between Biden and Trump, and and who's the vice president is very important, by the way, as you, for reasons I don't even want to state. You cannot say, "Well, we don't want to tell people that we don't want to we don't want to explain these issues." I mean, you you have an obligation to tell people that. In fact, it's the it's the nadir, then the, it's the worst type of evil to, to 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 say to people, "Well, we we can't say this to the American people." It doesn't get much worse than that. But that's the status quo, isn't it? And we all participate in the trade. And most Americans, frankly, to be honest with you, they just believe what they see on local news and believe what they see on national news. They question nothing. They're too busy working. Most people just don't want to disbelieve the narrative because it's easier to live that way, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it, it is. And, and it, it is, I, I must tell you, it's uncomfortable to see what you do. It, it doesn't... And I'm going to use, I'm framing this specifically for a reason. It doesn't feel right. It feels like some ethical cords are pulled upon that it doesn't feel like somebody should be subjected to this. I, I'm Go ahead and answer that. I wrote a whole book. Of, I wrote, there's a chapter in American Muckraker called Ethics. And I really, I'm, I'm probably one of the, uh, I've read more on journalism ethics than probably most journalism school professors. And um, there's a, there's a chapter in there and I'm, not, I don't have a photographic memory, but I'm going to do my best to recite what I know. I mean, Ernest Hemingway, Ernest Hemingway, who you know once wrote about ethics, said, "What is good is what you feel um, good after." This is like a very uh, minimalist way of saying this. What is good is what you feel good after, and what is bad is what you feel bad after. So perhaps when it comes to journalism, it's not so much what is good is what you feel good after. It's you're better off having done it than if you didn't do it at all. And I find that with most of our work, um, you're better off knowing this information. And when it comes to deception, it's a question of relative deception because either you're deceiving your audience by parroting all this propaganda, this Potemkin, which is what they accuse Tucker of. And some of those criticisms would have merit if Tucker wasn't challenging Putin. And I haven't watched the full interview yet, admittedly. There it is. So, so, and then, and then, so it's a question of relative deception. So if you are parroting the propaganda talking points, then you are committing a sin. 
you are committing a pretty bad one. You're, you're, you're lying to your audience. So if the person says, well, this is a, you know, this is a, uh, this is X when really it's Y, then you're telling your audience something that's false, or you must deceive your subject in order to tell the truth to your audience. And in many circumstances, it becomes a moral imperative for you to deceive the person that you're talking to so that you can get the truth out of that person and distribute that to millions of people. I think as an ethicist, which I'm not, but I'm a journalist, so I have to deal with this. I I think it's a pretty uh, easy formula. You you have to deceive the individual, uh, you know, pose as something you're not, don't tell them who you are so that you can get that truth. Upton Sinclair certainly did that when he smuggled his pencil into the into the uh, into the jungle in Chicago. No one thought that was bad. Everyone think you'd read about that in high school. But what makes this different is technology. It's the camera. People don't want their dignity be photographed. They don't want their photo distributed, their likeness. And I get it. But the photograph, the camera, is a more honest version of events than the written down version, which unfortunately dominates the newsrooms of the New York Times and the Washington Post. And I don't disagree with anything you say, but this becomes really interesting territory because A, as Hemingway points out, moral moral sensibilities is probably the foundation of morality. I mean, they're moral philosophers and theorists out there uh and and really as i read that philosophy when you get right down to it there is a moral sensibility whether it's the famous uh streetcar experiment or whatever it is people have feelings about these things but the job though is not to stop at the feeling and to really use the front part of your brain to develop an ethic that either defends or refutes that feeling and what's interesting about what you've just presented to me is you said it should be a moral imperative. So now we're going to Kant, right? And and so I I don't disagree with you that it's a moral imperative, but Kant has a section a second injunction, which is no one should be used as a means to an end. And I think I that's the with part. That, I, I I get it. I get it. But I think that's the discomfort in all this. People can't quite well, navigate that. It's, well, there's, a, it, there's a, a mathematician once described, it's sort of like portfolio management, which is above my head. But it's like, uh, if you were to graph this out, there's an efficiency frontier. I was talking to um, uh, uh, the Weinstein brothers about this and their mathematical geniuses. There certainly is a point where it's like, okay, that's wrong. And where that line is, you know, there's another woman, Jessica Mitford, who wrote a book, the uh, the gentle art of muckraking. Where that, where that point is, where you go, this is a little dis- disgusting, right? That that yeah. that's yeah. unclear. Feeling and feeling again. It's a fe- it's, it's a feeling clear. again. Yeah. Well, well, it's clearly yeah. situational. I wouldn't necessarily describe it as a feeling. Mm-hmm. I think it's more rational because privacy is a great example of this. I never report on anything happening in someone's bedroom, consensual sex unless they're using taxpayer dollars, unless they're a senator, you know, using the public coffers. Obviously, there are places I won't go. And I think that's completely situational. There's no, there's no hard and fast rule when it comes to ethics. It has to be situational. And I think that it's clearly the case if you're a cybersecurity official in the, in the White House and you are meeting with James O'Keefe, probably violating your clearance, 
and you're sp- sharing, mm-hmm. spilling all the beans about meetings that you didn't play the clip where he goes, I'm sitting with Michelle Obama and she doesn't want to run for president. That's clear. And you're in a public restaurant and also, by the way, not in the bedroom, mm-hmm. all these different variables, you know, it, it, and by the way, I take, and I want to say one more thing before you move on from this. I got the Ashley Biden diary. That's the president's daughter, a tipster sent it to me, and I did not publish it. So for those mm-hmm. who think I'm an activist, I just want to hurt Biden. There are places I won't go. And, 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 and my staff was upset. Uh, many of my staff were upset and published that, but I did not publish it for a couple of reasons. You know, it's a, it's a diary. I'm not sure that people should be reading that. Um, and I couldn't yeah. verify that it was hers and I couldn't verify the things that she wrote in the diary occurred. And I'm not in Ross pro, you know, they brought his family into it and, and I, and I read about that and heard about that. And so there are lines I won't cross. And there's a lot of things said in these tapes that I don't publish. People talk about personal things. I never, it's pig's blood. So I think it's very important to take ethics extremely seriously. And it's, it's one of the things I, um, researched and wrote a book about and we mentioned potemkin village a few times essentially stalin set up these false uh utopias in ukraine to take journalists in there to show him how wonderful everything is while catastrophe was actually breaking out all around and one journalist got off the train before he was sent to his destination and saw the starvation and people turning on each other and the violence it was just a disaster potemkin village is like a false you know it's it's something created it's a disneyland whoop i lost you james i've lost james sound i've got can i say something yes there you go I uh, wish I wish you guys had watched the Putin interview because I found it fascinating and I was I was kind of hoping that I did watch a lot of it. Uh, yeah, but I like I would love to know James' take on his on his. Uh, I have it on the field. Of things to do. I've been in gotta the field, watch it. Right? But I, I want to say potential village also could mean like Shane Smith, the founder of Vice. You know that big media company in Brooklyn that mm-hmm. I guess went bankrupt or is no longer mm-hmm. relevant. You know, but, but Shane Smith would would make it when, when the investors came, he made it look like he had all more employees and they were doing all these things. And as soon as the investors left, it went back to its original size. It's just any type mm-hmm. of deception towards a passer in or a passerby or someone who's documenting. And that's why we, people are more honest when they don't know they're being recorded. And I think Susan is saying that uh, she feels like Putin it was espousing Potemkin Village. Sort of oh, idea. sure. Okay, all right. Well, everyone knows he's a leader. He's look much like our leaders are not telling the truth. He, he told a little bit of truth at the very end. I, there were a couple questions. You have to go all the way to the end. All right. I'm not going to give you a spoiler alert. But. Why were you fired, James? What happened? Yeah, the, another difficult thing to summarize in 30 seconds. Um, mm. You know, it's really, it was really bizarre. I think it, I wrote an essay about it on the year anniversary last week. Um, It's posted there on my X page, if you scroll down a minute, but one of the board members was extremely acting very bizarrely. And um, I probably should have fired some people. I didn't, I made a mistake and I did not put the right people on my board. 501c3s require Mm. a board, nonprofits require boards. Mm. I don't know if your audience knows that. Mm. And I ran it like a, you know, I ran it like a company, even though no one owns a nonprofit. So in nonprofits, it's challenging because no one owns anything. So achievement is often a liability and no good deed goes unpunished. 
It happens in mm. hospitals, churches. And uh, we got to a point where um, one of the guys, I, I knew it was not good. And a number of uh, big donors told me he was extremely envious of me. So he mm. kind of created a, uh, of 75 employees, he found about eight to 10 who wanted to create this sort of Maoist uh, mutiny. Mm. And uh, mm. he successfully got someone to vote with him. And, and, um, they voted me. They suspended me as CEO, and and uh, it was it was a crazy and wild, and I would even say spiritual experience for me. I learned a lot about myself, mm. about mm. leadership, about people, human nature, jealousy, power. Mm. I have since learned that almost everyone goes through this in some way or another in business. I mean, you know, either at EB Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or the guy who founded Uber. There's a lot of people that go through this. And um, what I learned is that, you know, I, I needed to be a little more discerning when it comes to uh, selecting board members and executives around me. Have you read Elon's uh, biography, the Isaacson biography? I just finished it, actually. Yeah. And, and uh, so you, you saw that <laughs> it's kind of I was having a conversation with someone today about this, that he uh, those experiences taught him to be able to fire people even when they're close to him. Yes. He, just, he just fired, that, he that fired is, that is, ruthlessly. I mean, I, yeah. I am so happy that you brought that up. Um, that was my mistake. It, I, I was raised to believe the best in people. And, I, and, and frankly, I have to have empower everyone. So I'm always looking for the angels and men, even bad people. I'm trying to find like, how can I best utilize you? And, and what mm -hmm. Elon did, that's just how you have, if you want to be a CEO of a company, that's just what you have to do. It may not be, may yeah. not be pleasant, but in, in my company, everyone was friends with each other. Even, even my chief financial officer, my, my number two, they were actually friends with the employees. They still are. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you can't mm -hmm. do that can't you can't give yeah. someone a raise because you're friends with them that's that's actually yeah unethical um but yeah. you, fortunately, you have to have boundaries you have to have boundaries human relationships I need became, boundaries i became the only bad guy i became mm. and i was also the brand i was the face so it was a very strange out dynamic i was the chief fundraiser the mm. chief executive officer i was the on anchor and i was the talent and i had effectively 50 to 70 people that were supporting and a lot of those people expressed anger that they weren't getting the credit. I said, well, you're an undercover journalist. Do you want a byline? So it became a very unhealthy dynamic. And one day mm. uh, after the Pfizer story, we did this story in Pfizer a year ago, which was the biggest story that we had ever done. Um, one of the board mm. members said, we no longer need James O'Keefe involved in this operation anymore. And I'm not sure they thought that out because after they voted me out, there was a, I mean, there was an absolute rebellion from the supporters in the audience and and mm. they withdrew all the money. But that was the hardest thing I have ever been through. I've been incarcerated. I've been raided by the FBI. I've been sued 30 times, but, but obviously it felt like I was um, uh, castrated and uh, I had to, you know, go through a lot of pain. What Elon talks about with PayPal, I, I think he wrote about that. Um, mm -hmm. And I, and I quickly started a new, a new organization about a month later, and now I am proud to say that I have learned my lessons and uh, hopefully, God willing, don't make some of the same mistakes. And uh, I've 
found some amazing people. We have a smaller team now, I would say about a dozen full-time employees, and we're working with a lot more citizen volunteers, citizen journalists, and whistleblowers. So I think it's a healthier dynamic now. And that tends to be what happens. It tends to get healthier with these sort of crises. And uh, yeah, Musk just kept his eye on the ball, which was, I've got to save humanity by taking them to another planet. And if I have to fire people and it's unpleasant, that's just, there's, there's a higher calling here. Um, one thing I'm not going to be able to get to today, I don't think, uh, is this, we, we, I was going to split up the kind of conversation. Maybe we have to have another conversation or a, or a beer sometime. But, but it is the, we had the ensconced elite and the other thing for me is something called oikophobia. You ever heard of that? It's that it's it's the Western hate of itself. Uh, that this there's a theory that societies, as they evolve, sort of turn in on themselves when they become successful. And it's again a term in the West called oikophobia. I hope I'm getting the name right, but I, I don't have time for that. I want to. I want to. I'm gonna leave that as sort of a, a, a just hanging as a as a thought, and ask you about Pfizer. Uh, can you a can you talk about that and b what are your thoughts on what's going on there? I think you saw the the little uh, clip we played r rolling in here that there's stuff you know doesn't make sense. There's a lot of questioning. Uh, what, what do you have a, an evolved sense of where we are with Pfizer and vaccines? I don't. This is not an area I'm a subject matter expert. You you and your uh, guests you've had on and it's not really mm -hmm. an area that i'm i can only speak to what you know some of the people i've covertly interviewed have said like jordan walker who's a director of mrna but you already know that um and uh some of the other whistleblowers i've worked with i've worked with a few i've broken probably about three or four stories on pfizer but i'm in no way a, a subject matter expert to speak beyond what you've already seen in the videos okay and can you can you clue us in? I'm looking at my notes. I've so much I want to talk to you about. Uh, it's been a great conversation. I appreciate you being here so much. Can you tip your hat at all to what's coming and where you're where you're yeah. what you're interested yeah. in going? Yeah, go ahead. I just yeah. broke a story last week on Ramada Compound Casa Alitas, which is this NGO funded by the Feds in Tucson, um, and and uh, that went viral. You can look on our X account and see these videos every Wednesday now. We do a, a report, which is a deadline. I've created an internal deadline. So every Wednesday at four o'clock, we break a story and uh, we're about to break one. We almost got killed on the border. There are these secret camps, like almost like NGOs. They're, they're nonprofit groups, but they get money from the government. It is wild it, what's happening on the border. And I know we all, it's a cliche, border, 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 but it is, I, I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, we're talking big money, billions of dollars. There's me as a homeless guy uh, on the perimeter of this one complex that was last week. And while I was snoping around, uh, we put cameras on illegal immigrants that went inside the place and recorded wild conversations. So I feel like the border is the number one issue of this election. I think all of it, the money, the, 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 the amount of money that the, that it's an industry to to mm -hmm. to uh, traffic is one word uh, ship, but one in ten of these kids get raped and trafficked in this mm -hmm. in this child and people trafficking organization. So a lot of my sources are on the inside now, long term. But this coming Wednesday, you're going to see me go to personally me James O'Keefe go to one of these camps in the middle of nowhere. Okay. 
in Arizona. I'm, I'm talking 30 miles away from the nearest road. And the things that you will hear and see, we almost got killed. And, um, and, it's, and what's crazy is that these people are getting money from the government. So I think this is going to be a big issue. It's ongoing. It's going to be my major focus this year. James, thank you so much. Follow James on Twitter. Follow the new company on Twitter. Go to the website, which is, hold on here. You can tell me. O'Keefe Media, is that it? O'Keefe Media Group. OkeefeMediaGroup.com, and you can yeah. follow me. It, my name on all platforms, Instagram, X, you know, Telegram, James O'Keefe, Roman numeral three. I'm James the third. James O'Keefe III ah. is where you can get, that's a go. capital I there. You can get all of our videos mm -hmm. there. Okay. So it's X, at X, James O'Keefe, K-E-E-F-E, I, I, capital I, capital I, capital I. James O'Keefe the third. And with Instagram, you can follow me there, both places. <laughs> all right, James. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. Yeah, that's uh, interesting, right? Susan, Susan, I feel you wanting to say something. Yeah. What? What do you want to say? I just wish you guys would watch the Putin thing. We wouldn't be in a position to talk about it. That's not his thing. Why not? No, we, we'd be speculating. I mean, is Putin reliable? No. Is, <laughs> is his history accurate? Maybe. Uh, is, is, I, you know, is Tucker a journalist? Kind of. Uh, there we go. Now we've talked about it. That, that's about all you can really say. What is it you want to talk about? Maybe we should get a guest that penetrates in a way you yeah, want to Russian. Yeah, we need to get Brian O'Shea back. Or a Russian, how about a Russian expert? Just somebody who really, you know, you know yeah. we used to talk to a Castro expert? Yeah. There's a guy here on um, Rumble who said he lived over there and said, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's, uh, what does that say? Subterfugal decades where people were being issued passports in countries and wishes to conquer the Crimea. He tells half-truths truths to help yeah. his cause which i felt in the in the conversation and our government is, is that different well. is that different than other politicians it's always been like that i mean yeah. but is that different i don't know but he just he just he was trying to rally his nationalistic uh he's trying to country. rally us he's trying to rally us too yeah to yeah he was there's guys no goal. you shouldn't be afraid KGB, of us he's a kgb be, operative guys you shouldn't <laughs> be worried about us we're just he, you know the little russian the, country he may be telling the truth i love russians or don't you no i, mean, I love russians yeah, so, but I mean, nobody nobody who lives in russia really likes putin that much either oh I mean, no that's not true when we were there remember people were very upset with the way that things were going. That was there, there like was mixed. twelve years there, ago. There was people that loved. I can't believe he's been it. there twelve years. Like if somebody stays that for that long and things aren't going well, it's just sad. We'll you call can't them change. a dictator just for the sake of argument. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, Rumble guys, I, I know there's a lot of you watching James today. Please do subscribe, follow. We love you. A part of our Rumble channel. You'll, we'll give you shout out. You know, we'll give you a uh, blast when we go on the air. Uh, Caleb, if you could put the upcoming guest on, you'll see that you'll want to be a, a Rumble guest. Jimmy Dore tomorrow, Alex Berenson the next day, Zuby coming in. Rob Henderson is a great guest. Great new book coming out called uh, uh-oh. Um, I can't remember. You're going to put it up there, I'm sure. Brett Weinstein, March 5th. I'm very what? excited about that. Very oh, my excited. gosh. Very excited. That's exciting. That. And, Maybe uh, he knows about Russia. As, no, he's a biologist. So, so <laughs> don't get too, you know, if, if we get too geeky, you're going to have to straighten me out during the No, episode. that's okay. Uh, we'll find somebody. And he's an evolutionary biologist. Actually, I think that's his actual formal training. But in any event, uh, which is just saying a biologist. Everybody got to know the biology, the foundation of biology is evolutionary uh, uh, processes and, and, and science and chemistries. 
biochemistry. So any of it, uh, what was I going to say? I lost it. Rob Henderson, you can put the book up there, Caleb, if you've had, it's called Disturbed or something like that. I, I, I've read it. It's great. It was lying around here. Don't see it right now. Uh, I think it's out now. It's a, you, Really, it's a personal story. Rob Henderson is a, a young man that was disturbed uh, or troubled. It's called Troubled. Right? It's called Troubled. That's what it is called. Uh, and he... Um, he goes sideways and he ends up in the military and that kind of saves him. And then he's able to use the military bill to go to Yale and he goes to Yale and he's shocked at the way these privileged students behave and the way they think. Then he goes to, I think, to Cambridge or Oxford where he becomes a social psychologist and he, I think, still there and teaching. And uh, a great guy, a great story. And it's, it's everything we talk about. So, all right. So, okay, don't worry. Caleb tells me he can't throw the book up. That's fine. That's fine. It's all good. It's called Troubled. I recommend it most highly. Caleb doesn't have a mic today, so. I know. And follow us on X. <laughs> Caleb, His uh, roadcaster went on the, it's a communist plot. It, I don't know. Well, maybe going. it is. Or maybe it's people that hate James O'Keefe. I noticed all, <laughs> a lot of bots afoot on Rumble Rants today. I don't know if you saw that. It was all right. Susan. Everybody yeah. was cool. Well, there was some interesting uh, commentary going on. I'm sure. Yeah. So there we are, buddy. We appreciate you being here. Appreciate being part of this. Uh, Dr. Love you over on YouTube. Uh, and subscribe X. at Rumble. Uh, we're, uh, you know, I watch, I've been watching your comments, as I said, on the restream. Oh, that's right. I'm going to be on Jimmy Dore's show today, this afternoon. I don't know when it's airing, however. I don't know how he does that, but I'll be. Is he live? Anybody? Huh. Bueller? Somebody help me? Anybody? Somebody on restream? Well, we're, it's, there's a delay, so nobody's going to be able to answer right away. Uh, thank you, James. Give it a couple it's minutes. Cigars. Thank you, sir. It's, uh, somebody said, uh, was it Super Bowl? We heard somebody's keeping high, jeans high and tight. Uh, they want Susan more. I'm just reading the restreams here. Uh, the doubt is that it's live. I doubt it's live. You know what? I'm, I, here's the thing. I study Russian history and Chinese history mm -hmm. and Arab history in, mm -hmm. in college. Mm -hmm. And it was right before, you know, the invasion of Kuwait and Saddam Hussein and all this other stuff. You know, and in the 80s, it was just, everything was just hearts and flowers everywhere. And then all of a sudden, I was learning about wars, you know, in the late 80s. Mm -hmm. And I found Russian history really and Chinese history to be my thing and communism and everything. But I also know that, you know, the propaganda is propaganda. If you watched the video, you have to kind of read into it and see what, you know, you look at his gestures, look when he kind of laughs before he says something, because you can tell like by body language that he's uncomfortable with the question. And most of it was at the end, but, you know, to know the history of, of, Russia is really important and all of China as well. Yeah. Um, but, and he did do a long diatribe. And I have to say, the guy has brain cells left because he told a very good story. But, you know, Tucker was very nice until the end of the thing. So stick till the end and just, the, the you know. One thing, by the way, uh, so I'm of Ukrainian descent and I didn't know any of that, which was kind of fascinating. But I did know that there was this deep sense of being Russian because we were always told we were Russian, we were Russian, we were Russian. Uh, but the interesting thing that was left out, what Scott Adams calls the, calls the dog that's not barking, he didn't talk about, he, he jumped from all that Ukrainian, he jumped, he jumped from about 1640 to Catherine the Great. And what he didn't talk about was the extreme violence of Peter the Great and some of the other czars that came through there and how they consolidated power in those areas and how they forced all the aristocrats to move to St. Petersburg and they built this thing out of nothing because he was jealous of Versailles. Anyway, long, longer story, the sort of the more quasi-modern history of Russia, he just, he just leapt over about 200 years, which I thought was fascinating. 
uh, and then he he was really yeah, he aiming, leaves out the bad stuff. He was aiming at the Crimea. He was aiming at justifying the reason for the Crimea. He said, Catherine the Great restored it. You notice he put it that way. They just he wanted the port. They wanted the port so badly. They wanted and the port, and and they will not give it up. There's no way they'll give Sebastopol. That was their power. But it just, I mean, it's just interesting, like reading body language and and hearing how he just so speaks so glowingly of the mother country, but how he was trying to get things done. And but the Russians are that way. People are, didn't want to show up or they didn't take my offer. And so we just walked away, but we it was all in good faith and, you know, well, which is poor bullshit. Me. Poor me, yeah. It's bullshit. Poor me. But, um, but yeah, I just, it, it was interesting though that they got Tucker in there and that he went through it. It was a good interview. So okay. I don't know why people right. don't want to watch it. It's weird. We will leave it there. And uh, tomorrow we are going early, not going early. There was talk about going at 2.30 tomorrow. Is that what we're doing? Yeah, we're going to start at 2.30. 2.30, we are going to bring Jimmy Dore live. So you may not see uh, him and me live if you, today. If you can't get enough Jim, Jimmy Dore, come see us. Our warm-up is on his show, and then we're going to get into it. Somebody on Rumble said, but Susan, our history is a lie. I think, you know is what? Is light? Is a lie. There's, I mean, there's all oh, kinds boy. of, you know, interpretations of history, obviously, you know, and you can't really be a historian unless you were, you weren't alive when it happened and you have to research it based on what was written, I guess. So by the people that lived it, which is, yeah. a, which is a new way of doing it. But history. now I'm really realizing that nothing written is real anymore. So how are we, <laughs> how the fuck are we supposed to look at this well, world letters, historically? The letters, the, so whatever, we're not going to solve that problem. Nobody's going to be honest about, you know, how many people died from the vaccine. You know what I mean? So we'll see history as a way. It'll, it'll be a hundred years before of, we figure it out. Reality, Right. Reality is a way of asserting itself, so stand by. We'll see you tomorrow at 2.30 Pacific. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. Yeah.